The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Let some things be retrograde. Hey everybody, welcome to Retrograde Land. This is That's So Retrograde. I'm one of your hosts, Elizabeth Cott, alongside Steph Simbari. Just wanted to say welcome to the show and uh, let you know that you can follow us over at So Retrograde on Instagram. And we also have a little weekly newsletter that we quietly dropped last year that we've been refining over the past few weeks. And we're actually going to give subscribers exclusive first access to some merch that's going to be rolling out in the coming weeks that we're very excited about. So you can sign up for that at thatsoretrograde.com. And without further ado, take it away, Steph. So today on the show, we are welcoming back a guest that we are so excited to reconnect with. Like series regular, maybe? Yeah. Two times? (laughs) Definitely uh, a heavy guest star at the the very least. Uh, We have a guide of ours and a friend of the show. Marianne Williamson is back. She is an author, a speaker, a spiritual guide, a teacher, a politico. New podcaster. Podcaster. Oh, my God. Congratulations. Welcome to the tribe. Marianne. Yes. Thank you. Such you an honor. If you hot tips, uh, we've got them I for do. You. Whatever hot tips you have for me would be greatly appreciated. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm kind of having a moment like I'm sitting in my living room and Zooming with Marianne Williamson. What a what a treat. Treat for me too. Treat for me too. We had fun last time. I was with you. Sure did. And it's really interesting if you if you listen back. You know, we've been doing the show almost six years. If you listen back to like our first year, the amount of times that your wisdom comes up because we've both been so excited about your work for so many years. It's oh, thank you. Thank you. Oprah style full circle moment over here. Thank you. It's an honor to hear you say that. Thank you. So last we spoke. You were on the campaign trail for president. Oh, that. <laughs> Do you remember oh, that? that? Yeah. <laughs> and we wanted to just catch up with you as, as succinctly as we could. I know I'm sure so much has happened since. Was that? That was a very long time ago. It yeah. seems like 10 <laughs> years. But. I know. I know. I know. That was most of 2019, really. Right. 2019. Okay. That was a year that happened. I don't yeah, recall that was it. A, yeah, that was a year that happened. I sure do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have enough memories for both of us. Oh my God. Well, share some of them <laughs> with us. Like, what have you gleaned? Where are you sitting now since we last spoke as far as like the political uh, realm is concerned? And, and what is your involvement? Well, there are two parallel universes. There's the political and there's the personal. Mm. It was an exhilarating experience, but it was also brutal. It's brutal out there. But Mm -hmm. when I say that, I I hope that that doesn't, I mean, I suppose it almost inevitably does, but I mean it when I say that I hope that does not discourage uh, women particularly from running for office, because I think that that is such an important thing to have happen. And the part that's brutal, you just kind of learn to deal with, but it's also, like I said, very exhilarating. And I come out of the experience with even greater confidence that if we use the tools of our democracy, if we invigorate our citizenship, if we see citizenship as an essential aspect of a meaningful and well-lived life, then there will be the kind of shifts in this country that need to occur. We were talking before we came on about driving through Los Angeles now, seeing so many stores boarded up, seeing so many homeless people. I think America is going through a tremendous time of reckoning. 
And one of the reasons we're having to go through this period of time is that too many people were distracted from politics. We're just assuming somebody's handling those things. And the way they handled those things was in a way that brought us to where we are. It was Bill Clinton, actually, who said, I think when he was president, that there's nothing wrong with America that can't be made right with what's right about America. And I think that that's really true. We just need to pour the best of ourselves into politics now because we're living through a crisis that won't change unless we do. And, you know, I feel that politics is such a big beast to talk about. And when you say it's more, it's personal as well. Like that's the element of this that I'm interested in as, as a citizen of like, I'm never going to run for office. I'm sure Elizabeth, are you planning on running for office? I mean, never say never. <laughs> okay. I, I respect that queen. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening aren't going to run for office, but they, as a citizen, they see how powerful their involvement can be at this juncture. And so I'm glad that that you're that you're bringing that up because it feels more personal than ever. Well, it is very personal. Every public issue will make its way to your private door. And I've been mm -hmm. saying that for a long mm -hmm. time. Good luck with all the green juice and the gluten-free when they're poisoning the water and they're poisoning the air and they're poisoning the, the ground. Thank so you. this idea that you can bubble yourself off, everything is personal. Now, when you just said that it's a big beast, it's really mm -hmm. no more of a big beast than anything else. The health and wellness uh, area feels like a big beast to people who don't know anything about it. Any area of life seems like a big beast to somebody who simply hasn't had their eyes on it. The truth of the matter is all that politics is, is our collective behavior. Mm. And the two of you, I, th I think part of this is owning the power that we have. The two of you are already in a position as women, as influencers, as podcasters, where you're, you're already in there. So you are either contributing to it being better or you're contributing to it being worse. And I know that you, I know that you are contributing it to it being better, but politics is simply the ocean we're all swimming in. So I guess I said that because you were mentioning the brutality and when yeah, I look at yeah, it from yeah. a distance, I feel that. Well, it's rough, but then what are we going to do? Just surrender right. the country to it? Right. Just, I mean, yeah, it's terrible. And especially for uh, for women and especially for women who are talking about things that the uh, a certain establishment elite doesn't want to let into the conversation. But on the other hand, how is that compared to what they would do to a woman in Saudi Arabia right. if she was inconvenient? So what will they do to us? They lie about us. Check. They did. Smear mm. us. Check. They did. Make fun of us. Check. They did. But yeah, it, it's brutal. But when we're talking about brutal here, compare that to brutality in Saudi Arabia or brutality of the Taliban against women in Afghanistan. So let's when I say brutal, I meant emotionally brutal psychologically right. of course that's nothing compared to what happens to women in other countries and i think you know there's a woman who was recently sentenced to five years in a saudi arabian jail and do you know what she did that she's being imprisoned for she protested for the right of saudi arabian women to drive uh. she will be in prison in a saudi arabian prison for five years at least that's what she's been sentenced to. So when I say brutal, I'm aware that I have some psychological scars, but it, that it's my responsibility to heal, by the way. Mm -hmm. And that's nothing uh, compared to what women go through in other countries. Right. It's relative. Or what women go through in this country, by the way, mm -hmm. who are in certain less privileged situations. So mm -hmm. I think that those of us 
uh, and I include the two of you, and many of the people who are your listeners, I think have a responsibility to take on a fair amount of the harshness of the system mm -hmm. in order to live in good faith uh, with so many people who can't take it on at all. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you said something recently in one of your podcasts where you said, to whom much is given, much is to be expected. And I wrote that down when I heard that because it hit. The idea that to whom much is given, much is to be expected is certainly not original to me. But what has happened in our society is that there used to be much more of a sense of what's called noblesse oblige. The idea that if you have a lot, you have certain responsibilities to the society. Back in the 1980s, they ushered in an entire era of our in our society where selfishness became legitimized. The idea of just living for yourself and getting what's good for you uh, was legitimized. And there is an aspect of that that's very good. It's called American rugged individualism. There's an aspect of that that's good. But over the last few decades, it's become rugged narcissism. Mm. Everybody out for themselves. That's that's that completely uh, destroys the fabric of a society. Something's got to hold it all together. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately about the in 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 the realm of of a pandemic, and when we're saying, okay, we're we're responsible for our own health and the, and thus responsible for for one another, and then we see the the way that it's exploded as far as like everyone wanting to handle it in a different way, everyone having different ideas, different information. Like it's an explosion of I can do this the way that I want, which which I feel is very much off course and off the energy of where we're supposed to be, which is collectively minded. And so I would love to kind of hear you speak on that delicate balance between not moving away from the beauty of the individualism, somehow cutting through the narcissism to honor the collective and the individual at the same time is something that I've been thinking about a lot. One of the first principles of the United States is the idea of individual liberty balanced with a concern for the common good. Mm. That is the balance that we constantly on every issue are theoretically trying, uh, trying to achieve. We want people to do whatever they want, but we don't want them to be able to do whatever they want if it hurts someone else. Right. Now, the government theoretically is supposed to be advocating for the common good. What we had, however, was a president for four years who didn't want to advocate for the common good because he didn't want to mess with people who he felt were his base, both moneyed and not moneyed, who mm -hmm. had more interest in doing whatever it is they wanted to do rather than showing up for the common good. Showing up for the common good would have been, meant getting the best scientific advice, the best medical advice, and acting on it. It would have meant the president saying, we'll all be better off if we wear masks. It would have meant the president talking about the need, which he did at the very, very end when it was already too late and what he said didn't matter. But compared to other countries, what they have done to other countries is that they gave people direct cash relief so mm. that people were not so desperate to go out to work. If we had done that early, if people had been given basically the money to stay home and been told by the president, hey, especially with the huge uh, masses of people who supported him, if he had said, you know what, we should all wear masks and we're going to give you enough money that you can stay home, this thing would have been, it would be over mm -hmm. by now. I heard some people in Australia saying, oh yeah, COVID, we don't talk much about that anymore. <laughs> well, I want to go there. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. And they have socialized medicine. 
Yeah. So the way we have handled this has been so that number one, anybody could do whatever they want. And number two, uh, in a way that would make sure that the way they handled it did not mess with the so-called free market. Mm -hmm. One of the first things that President Biden did was that he signed an order called the Defense Production Act, which which requires that companies, both public and private, will create the, will produce and manufacture the kind of medicine, the kind of PPE, the uh, ventilators, everything that is necessary in order to handle this as best we can. That should have been done many, many months ago. When this thing first started back, you know, starting in March, we had doctors and nurses who didn't even have masks. They didn't have ventilators. They didn't have all the protective equipment they needed. And if President Trump had wanted to sign the Defense Production Act, then those things would have occurred. But he didn't because he, and particularly Jared Kushner, were so, oh, you can't tell companies what to do. You do, though, in a national emergency. You absolutely right. tell companies what to do in a national emergency. I mean, that's what they did during, during like, wartime. That's exactly right. Yeah. A, yeah. A famous story was towards the beginning of World War II when, because when World War II started, we didn't have a standing army. So we didn't have ships and we didn't have tanks and we didn't have planes. So President Roosevelt called the big three. It was also even then the big three automakers in Detroit. And he called them to the White House. And he said, gentlemen, I need this many ships and I need this many tanks and I need this many planes. And they said to him, Mr. President, we are patriotic Americans. We will do everything we can for the war effort. As soon as we, soon as we get these cars produced, then, of course, we will make your ships, planes, and tanks. And he said, gentlemen, I don't think you understand what I just said. <laughs> this many tanks and this many ships and this many planes, and you will not be making cars until I have so we have developed since the 1980s with such a diminished sense that some things are simply required to keep everybody safe and that keeping everybody safe is more important than keeping any individual happy. Well, it's also just that like they give, they like worship the ground that any industry walks on over. That's the point anything that has to do with humans. Right. So when we talk about individual liberty versus concern for the common good, part of that individual liberty is individual liberty to make money. So in America, we're an entrepreneurial society, capitalist society, and people say, great, you can go out and build that factory in order to build those clothes, which is great. That is part of the greatness of America. But America at its best also says, but you cannot pollute the river by spewing toxic chemicals from your factory that's going to give so cancer. Hard? Well, I'll tell you why it's so hard. I'll tell you why it's so hard. It's because ridiculous. those regulations, those environmental and safety regulations, which would say, yes, have your factory. Yes, make money, but not at the expense of the workers, not at the expense of the safety of the community, not at the expense of the environment. Starting in 1980s, there was this orgy of deregulation. And all of this propaganda about how those are job-killing regulations. No, they're, they're, what they are is safety regulations. What they are- But they cost more money. No, but they actually don't. Even that is a false narrative because oh. actually you create jobs. Jobs have to be created to make sure that you are in compliance with all of those regulations. Mm -hmm. So starting in the 1980s, the idea was that 
all that that corporation should have to worry about is its own stockholders making money. And that, that, that responsibility to the stockholders uh, were allowed to be at the expense, if need be, of the workers, the environment, the community, et cetera. It was called trickle-down economics because the idea was that they'd make so much money and they'd create more jobs and all that money would trickle down. But it hasn't. It has left millions of people without even a life vest and it has created a massive transfer of wealth into the hands of a small group of people among whom mm. are you and I and most of our listeners, most of your listeners. And that is a moral issue. And by the way, if we had a fair economy, everybody would make more money. Everybody right. would make more money. It's not like, you know, there would be some short term. Yeah, you'd pay higher taxes. I would pay higher taxes. But this, our democracy is going down. Mm-hmm. And uh, none of us will be safe. Uh, you know, look at what's happening in Los Angeles, the way you describe to me what Los Angeles looks like. What, is it any better looking if somebody's driving through with their Bentley? No, it's no. appalling. It's appalling it's no matter what, how, how expensive that. your car is. So that's what I mean. We are all affected by what happens collectively to the society. Quick break to give some time to one of our partners who we love so much today. Raise your hand if you're breakfast curious, like both Steph and myself. Well, We've got something for you in our sweet, dear partner, Purely Elizabeth. I know you're probably thinking, Purely Elizabeth, did Elizabeth start a grain-free granola brand? No, I wish I did. But I do like to think of it as the official granola clusters of my narcissism. Um, But they also have delicious grain-free protein bread and muffin mixes with added collagen now. I am the biggest fan of their grain-free vanilla almond butter plus MCT oil. I love to put it over fruit or a smoothie. My boyfriend loves it just straight out of the bag. I don't blame him. It's sweet. It's crunchy. It's delicious. I want to shout out their sea salt probiotic granola, which is a personal fave that has dark chocolate chunks, a little coarse sea salt. And bonus, two servings will help you get in your daily dose of probiotics in support of a healthy immune and digestive system. What more can you ask for in a delicious snack? They've got a ton of flavors, maple almond butter, chocolate peanut butter, blueberry hemp all come to mind. You can go over to their website, purelyelizabeth.com, and you will get 25% off your first order on all Purely Elizabeth products by using our code retrograde. I feel like my parents are going to be really excited because they they stock up on this stuff. That's purelyelizabeth.com. 25% off your order when you use our code retrograde. Enjoy. Guys, I am elated about this next partner. If you have listened to the show over the years, you've actually heard me talk about them. I've been a customer for a while now. I'm talking about Imperfect Foods. They are on a mission to reimagine grocery delivery for a kinder and less wasteful world. Aw, who doesn't love that? They deliver sustainable, affordable groceries, including produce, quality protein, eggs and dairy and pantry staples and yummy snacks straight to my door. Every Thursday, I get an email from them that's like, hey, it's time to pick out your groceries. The delivery comes on Monday. I go over to their website. They have the most amazing selection. And I, if I'm like really on top of it, I'll have the recipes that I'm planning for the next week just like ready to go. And I'll just check off the list, all of the things. I can find 
pretty much everything that I need right from the Imperfect website. And then it comes to the door. And then on top of that, you can skip it super easily if you're not going to be home or, but let's face it, I'm home all the time. So I haven't skipped it, but it's very easy to do that. And they've got awesome customer service. Just, I just love them so much. And I feel like they are just bringing such a beautiful solution to the planet and to our homes. Very, very excited that they have joined the That's So Retrograde crew as partners. And we are offering our listeners 20% off plus free shipping on your first order. You just go over to imperfectfoods.com and make sure you use our promo code retrograde. That's Imperfect Foods. You'll get 20% off plus free shipping on your first order, imperfectfoods.com, code retrograde to sign up. Let me know how you like it. It's really just like one of my faves. So I hope you love it too. Marianne, you mentioned individual liberties and keeping America safe. And Stephanie and I are really interested in your take on the recent social media bans that have been happening. Yeah. It's just such a rich topic that I think would love your take on. Well, it is, it is a complicated issue. However, I totally support the ban on on, on President Trump because I support the ban on incitement of violence and hatred on the, uh, uh, on the internet. Yes, you have the right to lie about people. I, God knows I've been lied about enough on the internet. Yeah. You have the right to lie about people. You do not have the right to threaten people's lives. Uh, mm. As Sasha Baron Cohen said, if Hitler were alive today, he would have taken out 30-second ads on Facebook. And Mark Zuckerberg has known this, and Sheryl Sandberg has known this, and they allowed this to happen. They allowed it to get this bad. They should have regulated themselves. And all of this was just so that people could make more money. And when you're talking about the multi-billions of dollars that are being made, you're not just talking about a billion dollars, you're talking about multi-billions of dollars that are being made by these social media companies. At what point is enough enough? Right. At what point is enough enough? And uh, I think these companies need to be busted up. And absolutely, I support the ban. And I know that there are people on the right and on the left who have a problem with that because they believe that free speech is everything. But free speech does not mean you, you, you do not have the legal right to yell fire uh, in the middle of a, of a, of a movie theater. So uh, we, this, when you see things like uh, a Camp Auschwitz sweatshirt on one of the rioters or 6MWE, six million weren't enough on t-shirts at the rioters with these problems, whether it's <laughs> what did we ever fucking do to these people? Leave us alone. Like <laughs> we didn't do anything. <laughs> to you. To that. I mean, before, I mean with, with the establishment of the state of Israel, there is a, a legitimate conversation, but it certainly shouldn't, uh, shouldn't have to do with the right of, of Jews to exist. And before the establishment of the state of Israel, what you just said is exactly what the question was. What did we ever do to anyone? However, right. they started saying centuries and centuries and centuries ago, we killed Christ. We were controlling the world. And that is exactly what's happening today. That's what QAnon is about, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, QAnon, you know, the, the word globalist is code for Jew. Yeah, because we because we get because we like to travel. <laughs> no, no because so the, the, the narrative is you control the world. Mm. So when when if, for instance, in the QAnon, when they say a bunch of globalists are controlling the world, that is code for Jew. And also when it says a bunch of uh, of 
of uh, powerful people in Hollywood are controlling the world, that's code for Jew. These things are extremely dangerous. And right. America, I believe, needs to awaken from any naivete we might have about, number one, about how dangerous this is. And also, when it comes to the anti-Semitic part, you know, there were many Jews in Germany who didn't even relate much to their Jewishness. They were very cultural Jews. Yep. You know, but to Hitler, one drop of Jewish blood was enough. So I think that America is recognizing when you're talking about white supremacy, when you're talking about racism, when you're talking about anti-Semitism, when you're talking about homophobia, when you're talking about Islamophobia, xenophobia, these are very real forces. And uh, to think that they are not uh, active in the United States today is not only naive, but there's some there's there's a real abdication of our own moral responsibility if any of us turn away from this. So I have two questions based on, on what you just said. The first, in, in reference to like the QAnon uh, aspect of our reality and just the rise of conspiracy in general, uh -huh. I, I wonder what your take is on, on why that's become so prevalent. I have my own theories, but I would love I'd like to, to hear. I'd like to hear your theory about about the QAnon. I I do have a real sense of how all the white supremacist uh, activity began, uh, mm -hmm. but the QAnon, I'm I'm mystified myself. Well, I, and I'm curious, Stephanie, what is your uh, theory about where QAnon came from? I don't know where it where specifically QAnon came from, or or or. or much about that specifically, but in, as far as conspiracy is concerned, I believe that it's arising because people feel so left out to see, like you were describing earlier, like if they had just given people money to stay home and people had felt taken care of and in a trusting dynamic with the government, then I don't think they would have been forced into this place where they're looking for an explanation to why they're suffering and for someone to blame. And I believe that's a big part of what the conspiracy is, 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 is there is a lack of truth and people on some level can sense that, but they don't know where it is. And so that's how that kind of spirals into potentially Q or just other weird, you know, avenues of conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought the fact that so many people in the health and wellness space were taken in by that one was heartbreaking. Yeah, mm. that's been that's been a yeah. rough one. I mean, we've been doing the show for almost six years. We've had a lot of people come through and share their expertise. And more and more, I'm getting people in my DM saying, you know, I, I discovered this person from your show four years ago. I just want to flag this for you. They're spewing QAnon information. It's super disappointing. And all I've really been able to say is I think that this is going to continue. Like, I don't like I'm sorry. And I feel like we're going to this isn't an isolated incident. You know, I would see people say things on my Instagram like you are evil. Uh, you are a Democrat. All of you will be executed in front of military tribunals. And then I look at their Instagram page and it's unicorns and rainbows. And, <laughs> <laughs> and let's all love each other. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You're like, right after right. you shoot me in the face? What's happening? Like, where is this? Like, I there's a really interesting article that Cosmo did about how Q infiltrated the wellness community basically by like tricking them and using common wellness jargon to get attention by the wellness community. And then kind of it was 
a very, it was like a strategic move. It, it didn't just happen. I'll send you the article. Yeah, I would like to read that article. Something is going on there. There is some also a very hypnotic effect. Mm -hmm. I think somebody, definitely this was well strategized by somebody. This was very well strategized by somebody. It's a very uh, sophisticated uh, evil there. Yeah. No, I, I can tell that. I dated a guy who uh, wore a headlamp at all hours of the day. And um, <laughs> it should come as, oh shit. That's a tell <laughs> if I've ever heard it of should, one. It should come as no surprise <laughs> to you that he was a QAnon person. <laughs> I, I soon discovered. And at one point he was like, I want you to watch something. So I was like, I had no idea what it was going to be. I'm, I've been just a curious explorer and observer of, of all the things in the landscape because I'm just fascinated with this element of our reality. And it was bananas there. And they use language. I think what you're saying is really true. They use language that appeals to somebody who would be in the like mystical space. Like, you know, uh, they, there's like demonic forces and, 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 the, and there's light and there's all these things that we recognize as language that we've used in other capacities to describe. I mean, it's an amazing novel. <laughs> you know, it's an incredible tale. But it's not fiction. It's nonfiction. And it's the story right. of our times. You know, I think a large part of this, when you were talking before, Elizabeth, about the fact that people know there's a lot that they don't know. I think one of the main problems is that we don't educate children into you know, as soon as they started talking about STEM, science, technology, math, engineering, they did so much of that at the expense of the humanities, at the expense of history, at the expense of a culture, at the expense of art, and at the expense of American government, civics, and history. We have something like 10 states that don't even require half a year of a uh, of, of study of American civics. If you haven't learned about the Bill of Rights when you're a child, you don't know as an adult to be horrified when it's under an assault. I felt on with the uh, January 6th riots, I watched and I thought to myself, these people don't even know where they are. Mm. They have no clue what the Capitol is. They have no clue what, they, what is done at the Capitol. And we're all responsible. We must be involved in recognizing the ways in which we have not proactively tended to the cultivation of a free society. If you have a relationship and you don't tend to it, you're going to lose your relationship. If you have a house, an apartment, you don't tend to it, it's going to fall apart. You have money and you don't tend to it, you're going to lose it. And we have been trained in a way, we have gotten used to just farming out our democracy, hoping somebody was handling it. And we can see now that we were driven into a ditch. All right, guys, let's take a break and talk about one of our partners that I'm so stoked is in the building. This is a wellness podcast, but we still like to have fun. Don't get it twisted. Today, we are talking about Usual Wines. They are so cute. They are wines for the modern drinker, meaning wines for those that drink alone because <laughs> that's all we're doing now. Each bottle is 6.3 ounces, so it's like a heavy pour or a glass and a half of wine. So you'll always finish the bottle and you won't feel guilty about wasting it when you don't want to finish the bottle because it is a single serving and it is always fresh and it's never flat, bubbly, or stale rosé. They have a red blend, a rosé, a sparkling white called Brut, and they also have a spritz, which I love a spritz. 
It's lower alcohol, 8.5 alcohol by volume. And it is a low calorie wine spritzer that's made of sparkling wine and guava juice. Delightful. And each serving of that just has 83 calories. So usual wines are made from world-class AVAs. That's American Viticultural Areas in California, like Napa, Sonoma, and Santa Barbara. And they are made with minimal intervention, zero sugar, and zero additives, which is great because a lot of that stuff is what makes you have the headache after you drink the wine. And that takes all the fun out of the wine. So if you guys are loving the sound of this and want to uh, drink alone, but in a moderate and responsible sense, head over to usualwines.com and you will use code retrograde and you'll get $8 off your first order. I recommend trying the sample pack. That way you get to know what you like. And then for your second order, you can get all of what you love. So that's usualwines.com and use code retrograde. Get $8 off your first order. I love it. All right, guys, we are so stoked because we have a new partner, but the partnership is actually already integrated into the fabric of that so retrograde because we had their founder low bosworth on and we're so stoked that now we are partnering with them as an official sponsor of the show we love that so much today we are talking about love wellness's intimate health kit it is a thoughtfully paired personal care kit with products that are there for you to maintain your balance with intimacy. There are four things in the kit. There's the pH balancing cleanser, the killer, the sex stuff, and the do-it-all wipes. The Intimate Health Kit products are all developed to be better for you than what's at the drugstore. They're made with clean ingredients, pH balanced formulas, and free of fragrances. They have the pH balancing cleanser, which I love so much. I'm so grateful because I've been looking for something that would not irritate. And finally, the pH balancing cleanser is the answer to all of my prayers. Then they have the sex stuff, which is a clean lube that supports women's health. And it's fun too. It is free of ingredients like glycerin and parabens that can disrupt the vaginal environment. It is made with aloe and it is a pH balanced personal lubricant that is designed to match and maintain the vagina's pH balance and good bacteria. And as it is a lube, it is super slippery and hydrating. We love to see it. Then they also have the do-it-all wipes, which are intimate cleaning wipes that fit perfectly into your purse. They are made with clean ingredients like organic coconut oil, organic aloe vera, and organic chamomile extract. They are made so that you can practice safe external personal hygiene that maintains vaginal pH levels and good bacteria. They are super soft and gentle on skin. Oh, we can't forget about the killer. The killer is a boric acid suppository that actually gets inserted into your vagina that can help reduce vaginal yeast and bacteria and and maintain a vaginal pH. And the reviews on this stuff are incredible. You can look them up yourself. Um, People saying they have suffered from chronic yeast infections for years. Nothing has helped now. Medications, strict diets. The killer is a lifesaver for you if you have yeast or or BV. Love Wellness is doing it right. They're, they're, They're taking care of our vagina. We need to be doing that. It's all about feeling confident, feeling comfortable, feeling like at any point in time, the pants are coming off. Keep your mask on, take your pants off. (laughs) All right, guys, go on over to lovewellness.com slash retrograde. I'm just super excited. So that's lovewellness.com slash retrograde, and you will get 20% off your first order with promo code retrograde. Lovewellness.com slash retrograde. Use promo code retrograde if you're going to get involved. All right, let's go back to the show. I want to go back to the social media for a second and just really curious about 
your own social media habits, which is something, this is a topic that in 2020, this show tackled a lot because it really felt like our only connection to the outside world was through screens and how to use that in a way that for good and then also have it not be detrimental to our own ability to connect and mental health and all of that. And I feel like you use your social media as such a, a beautiful platform to bring awareness. Thank you. But I, I can't help but wonder, do you ever find yourself just like mindlessly scrolling and being like, why am I on this thing? What am I doing? You're like watching <laughs> J-Lo and A-Rod make yeah. a TikTok and you're like, how did I yeah, get like, here? What, well. what are Marianne Williamson's <laughs> actual Instagram habits? <laughs> I have a 30-year-old daughter who is getting right. married in a few months and That's I do right. find myself scrolling up through a lot of pictures of cute babies and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I send them to her. I like this one. <laughs> so, I do. I do laugh at myself for how much scrolling through uh, pictures of cute babies I have done. And um, <laughs> but I figure a lot of that is, you know, the 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 potential grandmother in me. Um, yeah. But uh, the other day I did have one like, why am I looking at a picture of the queen of Denmark? Who cares? Why do I care? Why am I looking at this? <laughs> like, why is this on my feet? Why am I? And I was looking at the queen. It's a, she's the crown princess of Denmark and she's the crown princess of Norway. And oh, that's interesting. They look like friends. And oh, look at her tiara. And I was stop. What you <laughs> I feel like I know why you were there, but I won't say. No, tell me, tell me why, 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 why is that? Why was that thrown onto my court onto my feet like that? Isn't Shaman Durek married to Princess Martha Louise of Norway? Oh, that's true, actually. But she's a... <laughs> Listen to me. The fact, that I, the fact that I know this is really scary. Well, we all read the Daily Mail the, the sometimes. People, Come the on. People. <laughs> uh, no, the that's crown so princess, though, is different. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're like, well, that's true. Wait, what did I, I mean? find myself sometimes, I, but I have had those moments. Oh, this tiara. Oh, she got that from Brazil when the ambassador from Brazil visited Elizabeth in 1958. That's so interesting. And she had Gerard make that into a tiara with the diamonds because it was a necklace. And I'm like, where are you reading this? <laughs> but that's like, that's pretty like sweet and innocent, I yeah. think, as far as like where you found yourself. I mean, that's just good. That's good history. That's good storytelling. Oh, no. That's shiny Fashion. objects. That's gemstones. Definitely <laughs> shiny objects. But I just, we just needed to know like what, is Marianne find herself in a weird internet hole that we all find ourselves then needing to just shut our phone off immediately? Or like, do you have well, any rules well, or boundaries well, around how well, you use social media? Yeah, I mean, quite seriously, I've seen social dilemma and I've experienced it myself. I mean, I used to tell mm. myself when my daughter was little, I have to have my phone with me just in case she needs me. But she's 30 now. And absolutely, I have to recognize that in myself as much as everybody does. This is addictive. Now, the fact that I'm on Twitter, though, I find it, let's not kid ourselves. It's a, it's a very democratizing tool as well. Mm -hmm. And there's some terrible stuff up on there, but there's also some very intelligent, meaningful things on there, particularly at the time of the corporate conglomeratization of the mainstream media. Um, sometimes the most intelligent voices don't get a chance to be heard mm -hmm. on the mainstream media because the mainstream media is owned by those, those few companies, the same ones who own the factory down the street. 
this has been all of the things that have happened since the 80s and the 90s. So it's both ways. The best, the worst of what our culture has to offer is on the internet, but so is some of the best of what we have to offer. But the addictive quality, absolutely. It's something that I think we all need to look at. I, I, I see it in myself. I see it as my, in myself as much as is anyone else. What do you think are good, you know, news sources to, to, to speak to what you just said? Because I too love Twitter and I find myself going down a lot of interesting pathways and I feel like it's pretty easy to get a fair glimpse of what you're getting on Twitter. The Guardian is good uh, out of England. The Independent, uh, Jacobin Magazine. I like Crystal Ball. I think she's fabulous. Mm. Uh, uh, Matt Taibbi, Katie Halper, Brianna uh, Greyjoy. Of course, those are all left of the of center. But uh, to me, left of center, what people call left of center in America today is considered just middle of the road policies in Europe. If you look at someone mm. like Bernie Sanders, for instance, his positions are middle of the road centrist positions in any other advanced democracy. Mm -hmm. So when I, you know, even with myself, I always knew that I was left of center. But when I hear myself projected onto, oh, she's hard left. Well, it's only hard left because it appears hard left because the country has taken such a far right turn. I was going to say, yeah, like what's the establishing center? And do you see the emergence of of a third party in, in the system? That's that's my heart wish is that there is an emergence of something or someone, an entity or a group of people of some kind who can, you know, really be that unifying force. Because we're I know Joe Biden maybe is supposed to be that, but I feel that there's someone else who has more power coming in. We can't under Of course, he, yeah, he's a pause. He's a wonderful sort of placeholder. He's declared that yeah. he's declared that yeah. in yeah. that, you know, he will be ushering in a new era. Yeah, but he says that his idea of ushering in a new era is ushering in Pete Buttigieg. And I assure you, that's not a new era. Right. No, that's, that's, that's the new face on the old era. Right. But <laughs> on such a level. I have uh, so many jokes, but I'm just not. <laughs> <making that. laughs> yeah. So make them. No. We have in, in, <laughs> in both major political parties, there's a tremendous split. And the Republican Party, clearly, there's the split between the Trump forces and the more Lincoln Project type forces. And there are a lot yeah. of people who feel the Republican Party will probably break open and uh, break into two. But there is a tremendous split within the Democratic Party as well. Uh, between the corporatist traditional establishment elite in the Democratic Party, normally called the neoliberals, and the real progressives. You might have read, you know, I have an article, an op-ed every two weeks, twice a month in Newsweek magazine. And the, mine this week is called Take Their Calls, Mr. President, But Don't Take Their Bait, which is mm. about that. I hope that you'll look at it. And yeah, we'll uh, read it. so you're right. You know, those of us who are in the more progressive corners of the Democratic Party do feel very frustrated. We know what happened with Bernie in two presidential elections. And that's honestly what made me lose my faith in the Democrats. I was like, you guys are what they did to him is so fucked up, I think. It's sad. So I don't know what's going to happen right now, but if the Democratic Party doesn't really, you know, on one hand, yes, the president has done some really good things over the last week. He's done some really cool things in the area of um, executive orders and things. But on the other hand, people were promised those $2,000 checks. 
Yeah. And those show us the money, buddy. Yeah, show us the money. And so the Democratic Party, this is a make or break moment. And I think that if they don't, over the next hundred days, really, really prove to the American people, not just in nuanced institutional technique, but through a real visceral uh, experience, uh, which would be produced by something like the $2,000 checks came in the mail, then I mm -hmm. think the Democrats will have a very difficult time in 2022. And it could be calamitous in 2024 if that happens. But mm -hmm. I can also tell you that it's very difficult. You know, there is a group called the People's Party trying for a, to start a new party. But these things, the Democrats and the Republicans have this thing so locked up. Mm -hmm. You know, George Washington in his farewell address warned us against political parties. Huh. Uh, he did. He said they will create factions of men who will be more interested in their faction than in their party. You know, if this were wow. 150 years ago and you wanted to run for president, all you'd have to do is sign up. Like get signatures or something, right? Uh -huh. Well, also yeah. in the 1970s, you talk about immigration. Until the 1970s, all that anybody had to do who was a, uh, undocumented was go down to the registration office and sign up. Mm -hmm. There's so, so much about America today that people like yourselves who were born into this era think is normal, that people like myself with more institutional memory time-wise realize is an aberration. And it's an undermining of our democracy in ways that should not be tolerated. I definitely don't feel that we think it's normal, but it's like we, we're indoctrinated to be like, well, you know, we've heard stories of other ways or we can envision new ways. But it, it is that sense of like, well, it's always been this way. But in the same way, we're only 35. So it's only if it's only been, you know, this level for that long in the span of human history, that's not that long. Of well, time. you know, there's an issue where that is particularly relevant right now, and that has to do with the filibuster. If we don't get rid of the filibuster, which is a technique in the, by which the minority can keep the majority from passing legislation, then none yeah. of the things the Democrats have promised will come to pass, whether it has to do with Medicare for all, whether it has to do with canceling college loans, whether it has to do with the $2,000, whether it has to do with free college and tui tuition, et cetera. Anything that the Democrats, even if it's not the, the more progressive issues like I just said. Some people say, well, you can't get rid of the filibuster because it's Senate rules. This was not in the Constitution. It did not come from Madison. It came from Calhoun and they were trying to protect uh, slave owners. So mm -hmm. it is very American to say, uh, I mean, I certainly think we should be careful with the Constitution and careful with the things that the founders uh, said. Don't get me wrong. I'm rather traditionalist on that. And I think we should all be. But some of these things, why are we treating them like they're sacred? They, they're not sacred. They were a bad idea then. They protected slave owners. Get rid of it. Uh, right. And the filibuster is an example of that. Interesting. So we got to get into your podcast yes. for a second. Because... First of all, welcome to the world of podcasting. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank Truly. you. Truly. We're the official welcomers of all podcasters. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We're the social committee. But it truly is such a mindful and educational hour of audio. Thank you. And I just so, so appreciate it. And the guests you have on are so thoughtful. And I love how you, you tackle questions from listeners really thoughtful, thoughtful conversation um, with people who write in at the end of the show. And I just want to know, what's this new experience been like for you? 
Well, I've been talking for <laughs> a lot of years now, about 37 years. I do the Course in Miracles teachings every morning. Uh, people can know about the spiritual things on Marianne.com. To me, you turn on the microphone and I talk. I could be on a stage. I could be on Zoom. I could be on a podcast. I could be on a television show. The form, I mean, even like your podcast, what matters to me is Stephanie and Elizabeth. The, the fact that it's a, a podcast is just the form. It's the content that matters. So I'm grateful to have an opportunity. And, and much like you guys were saying before, it's the democratization of media. That's why it's so important. You don't have to get anybody's permission to do it. That's why things like podcasts are so important. People have podcasts about things that aren't within narrowly defined uh prescriptions of what conversations are supposed to happen. So I'm really glad, grateful to be part of it. I feel sometimes like I wonder, you know, with all of my background and the teaching that I do about the Course in Miracles, about spiritual, about personal growth, which is my, it's my philosophical home. I wonder if my podcast should deal with uh, more of that. But I feel like so many people have taken up that gauntlet now that it's not as necessary. I don't know. Well, if I could say, as someone who's followed your work for quite a while and would religiously attend your Monday nights at the oh, Saban wow, Theater wow. for years, nobody is going to, and, and you know, I'll use us as an example. We started talking about this whole, I'm using air quotes, wellness industry, all of this six years ago when it was such a different space and not any, no one was really talking about it in podcast form, let alone talking about it in a way that was irreverent and silly at the same time. Now there's hundreds of people talking about it, but I always just tell myself like nobody is going to communicate it the way Stephanie and I will, much like nobody will communicate your message that you communicate in the way that you will. No one can speak about Course in Miracles and spirituality and history and how it all beautifully actually all moves with one another in the way that you can. So do more of that. Do you feel when you say do more of that, do you feel that on my podcast, I, you know, it's interesting. And I think people listening to, to this podcast, I hope will. I, when I answer questions at the end of the interview, I just take the questions that people send. And there have been more questions about the political recently, but I'm more than glad to talk about, I mean, spirituality is my, that's my home base, you know? Right. Well, I think that when you talk about politics, you sound, you know, the thing that I love about your point of view and your perspective is that you're always bringing that to the conversation, whether you're not a, whether you're conscious of it or not, it's so ingrained in who you are and how you speak that, that's the messaging that I'm always getting from you is a much more holistic view of this, this thing that I consider politics. I consider it a very narrow lane as far as the way that it's discussed. It is a very narrow lane. Yeah. Although part of it's a narrow lane and part of it's more like a soap opera that people just haven't watched. You know, it's like you're home alone and you're sick and you are you have a soap opera on in the background and you don't know any of the characters. And then the next day you're still sick and it's still on and you kind of notice one or two of the characters. Third day, it's still on. You're not really watching, but you notice a few things. By the fourth day, you're like, oh my God, she's having his baby. 
<laughs> oh you know, and you're, and at that point, you're hooked. That's how I see politics. That's how I feel when I watch C-SPAN. I'm like, who is this fucking guy? <laughs> yeah, but if you watch it enough, you'll go, he's back. Yeah. Get him off the stage. And yeah. you begin to realize what he stands for. And you begin to realize, well, nobody will go to college if he has his way. Nobody will right. ever get to have a pay raise if he has his way. <laughs> it is interesting. It's interesting how people become characters and then that also overshadows their policy and when what they're saying. And like, I know that's been happening for a very long time as far as like the leaders are concerned. And I'm so distrustful of that. And I, I actually use you as an example, Marianne, because when you moved into the presidential race, I really didn't like how you were characterized. I thought <laughs> that it was very... You mean dangerous, <laughs> dangerous, crazy, crystal lady, yeah. anti-vax, yep. yep. told age patients not to take their medicine, anti-science, anti-medicine, crazy woman didn't work for you? Right. Mm. Exactly. I no, liked it. It, it has a good ring to it. But that's, that's the brutality I was talking about. Yeah, that was that's right. all very well strategized. Mm -hmm. And it was strategized by a group of people who didn't want me in the conversation. And that's a, I call it the political media industrial complex. And that's the brutality I was talking about. You know, you wake up every morning having had a 35 year career where you, you know, you were a decent person. You're not perfect, but you know, you're a decent person who's done decent work. And to see yourself trashed like that, every, you can't even turn on television that you don't see somebody mm -hmm. talking about you that way or turn on the, the, um, computer and see yourself described that way in some article that claims to be hip and happening. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the darkness. That's the brutality that I was talking about. What are the moments or the ways that you really, you know, worked through that on, on a personal level, like to come full circle to the beginning of the conversation? Because I was wondering that. Uh, two things. I, I think I was ill-advised to not respond to those things. Every time there was an article like that, I should have gone on Facebook Live and said, let me tell you, I want to read this article to you. And I want to tell you what's going down here. Uh, I was told don't talk about it because that'll bring attention to it, which was ridiculous because it was everywhere. Right. So, you know, so much of my own spiritual growth had been becoming less harsh in that situation. I should have been less gentle. Mm. I should have fought back. As, so, as one person said to me, if you can't take on Anderson Cooper, why would we think you could take on Putin? And they were right, actually. Mm. I should have given it right back to him because I had the statistics, right? So that's part of it. Also, I was hurt because yeah. I expected some of my colleagues. Uh, Deepak Chopra was great. Deepak Chopra spoke out for me. Uh, but some of the people who were quiet, who didn't get on their own social media platforms and say, look, you might not agree with Marianne Williamson's politics, but we've all known her for like decades. So mm -hmm. that is not who she is. I was hurt actually personally that uh, I didn't get some, because at this point it wasn't even about my politics. It was about that. I'm some, you know, I, when you talk about crystals, I'm Bakra and Waterford. That's the crystal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. It's just, I'm not, I'm not a cut velvet type. I've never been. Uh, you know, that's not me. Not that I have any, any criticism of it because it's beautiful too. It's just not, it's such a, so, so this last year, 
was all about healing from all of that for me so that I uh, would not have a chip on my shoulder and I would not be stuck in victim because even with what we just said, I'm not a victim. And my work personally, you know, in The Course in Miracles, it says you have to take 100% responsibility for your experience. And then if you don't take 100% responsibility, then you can't change it. So my work was where did you give them any ammunition at all? Where did you give any ammunition at all? For instance, if you had had a video making it clear who you were, they wouldn't have had such an easy time painting you as you were not. Mm-hmm. Et cetera, et cetera. If you hadn't made that one dumb comment at that one event, because it was early on and you weren't careful enough yet, they couldn't have run with it. You know, you're going to play ball like that girl. You better know what you're doing. So, you know, I uh, and more than anything, like I said, I should have responded to it. I tell you who is a real role model in that is AOC. Uh, she, mm-hmm. That girl takes no shit. You come after her and she does not just let it flow. I remember when I was on um, I was on CNN one night and I was ambushed. And I realized what was happening. I realized this was live television. And the line in The Course in Miracles, in my defenselessness, my safety lies. I went too quiet. I went too quiet. And I, I realized afterwards, when you asked me what lessons did I learn, you, you don't have to go into anger. You don't have to go into meanness. But you can still tell the truth and refuse to not tell the truth. And that's the mm-hmm. sweet spot, isn't it? Yeah. So these are all lessons. I think it's interesting. Like I saw that with the Hillary thing too, where, I mean, you guys are completely different and obviously, but just as far as the attack of the female character in the political landscape and the way that I I knew that she was being advised this way and to hear you say that you were being advised in this way, to not take it head on is something that a man would never take. That's exactly right. And that's something that it really is a lesson for all of us. That's right. And to see AOC, how beautifully she does that. I mean, on, a, on Twitter just this morning, uh, you guys haven't read up yet on what's happening with this Reddit thing and the, and the Wall Street, what's going on. It's a very, very big deal. You'll hear about all it. Right, I'll get in yeah, there. Oh, you'll totally be into it because it's totally hot. <laughs> but anyway, AOC says- Hot gossip right now. Well, it's more than gossip. Actually, it's an earthquake. Right, in yeah. this, I mean, once you get it, you'll go, oh my God, this is big. Damn. It's very big. But, um, okay. but AOC tweeted something, right? And then Ted Cruz agreed with her. No. Her tweet back was, it's nice that you agreed with me, but I'm not forgetting that the things you said almost had me murdered the other day. So if you, <laughs> if you really agree with me, you will resign. Wow. She, yes. did, she didn't say thank you. I'm glad that there's something about which we can be bipartisan. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, which is no, what no, like, no. an advisor would say. I have three quick fire questions for you really quick before you go. One pertaining to the podcast. Who's a dream guest for you right now? Well, my dreams are coming true. You know, I mean, great people. I mean, I've had great people on and I'm going to have more. Richard Rohr is going to be on soon. Deepak Chopra. James Cameron has said that he would be on. Um, So we have some people who promise to be on who I think are are fabulous and who have been on. Carolyn Mace, um, Andrew Yang, uh, Nina Turner. Uh, We've had great people. Uh, so I'm very, very grateful. I think it's really interesting people have been on and are being on. So I can't think of anyone, oh, if only they would be on. That's not right. happening for me yet. Well, I will say that I, I'd i love a few solo episodes from you, truthfully. That's so interesting. And let me ask you, because this goes back to my other question, would they be more about the spirituality, Elizabeth? Well, I trust, I think you always have a knack for for speaking to the moment. 
truly. So I would trust whatever you're feeling called to speak to, just run with that as you, you know, in, in watching you speak on Monday nights, it always was took from a course, but then also spoke to the history and spoke to current events. And that is just such a special sweet spot that I feel like you hold and represent. I would just. Well, I'm trying to find that. Love to hear that. So thank you. Thank you. I, I take that advice very seriously. And I'm trying to find that balance within my own heart is there because both worlds are very important to me. But how to present that in terms of a podcast is a question I have. So thank you very, very much for that advice. Of course. And I always would, anytime before I would have like a speaking event, I would always watch you on YouTube because I just feel like you're such a dynamic public speaker. Do you have any rituals or practices to get your head in the game or to prepare before you go on stage or record? Oh, absolutely. I always make sure that I've meditated that day. I never would drink any alcohol on the day. If, I, if I'm going to lecture, I would never have a drink before. I'll have a glass of wine afterwards, let's say, but I really stay away from anything like that before talk. I would never like have dinner with someone before. My consciousness needs to be really clear and uh, a lot of prayer. Uh, you pray for, I would pray for the audience. I'm, I'm very strict and disciplined with myself about that uh, before, I, before, I, before I lecture, yeah, before I go on anything. I prayed for you guys today before we came on. Sure. Thanks. I prayed for us too. Of course I did. <laughs> I guess I prayed yep. for us too. Yeah. I didn't say um, dear okay. God. Final, final question that's a little silly, but I'm very curious. Are you ever like binging a Netflix show in sweatpants? <laughs> and if so, what is it? Yeah, I watched Bridgerton. <laughs> uh, I loved The Crown. The Crown was a very, uh, The Crown was a really big, you know, such has been such a large part. I love uh, The Crown. I loved the Queen's Gambit. I thought the Queen's Gambit was as good as the crown. I thought it was amazing. The Fran Lebowitz one. I was going to say. I heard that that's good. It's so it's good. good. I heard that that's good. So, um, she like makes me want to go to back to New York and just yell at everyone. I think I <laughs> like her. I think I, she's my style icon. You want she's my personal Fran Lebowitz story? Of course we do. It was in Los Angeles. It was many years ago. It was on one of the hotels up top on, on the top. And I was so nervous that this is what I said to her. <laughs> I said, you live in New York, right? And she looked at me like this and she went, genius. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh, my God. And then you're like, oh, genius. yeah, no, I'm so stupid. Sorry. <laughs> That's so I, I know I slunk away. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> Marianne, this was thank so fun. You so, so oh, much. Thank you. I think you guys are today. great. Thank you. Always great to see you. And I hope someday to, well, I, I was with you in person last time. So yeah. I hope that those days will come back sooner rather than later. We'll do it again. So much.